0: And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Mom and Mind, a podcast about maternal mental health from conception to pregnancy and postpartum. Real stories from moms and family members who have made it from struggling to wellness and interviews with experts and advocates who work for moms and families to get the help they need. We discuss very real struggles that can sometimes be hard to hear, but these are stories that need to be told so that moms and families can know that healing is possible. This podcast is meant to offer information and awareness and is not a replacement for treatment by a professional. Thank you for being with us today. This episode touches on topics that may be sensitive for some listeners. I'm so honored to have Lisa Abramson on the episode today to talk with us about her experience with postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis. This is a very important topic for us to talk about and know about, and I'm so grateful that Lisa is sharing our story with us today. We're going to hear about postpartum psychosis from her personal perspective, and part of the intention of the episode is to have the listeners know and understand that this is part of the human experience. It's serious and treatable, but it's part of what some moms go through in the postpartum period. I really want us to try and gain compassion and understanding for the women that go through these mental health struggles, as well as to offer hope for healing and recovery for women and families that go through postpartum depression or postpartum psychosis. So a little bit about Lisa before we get into the details. Lisa Abramson is an entrepreneur, speaker, executive coach, and maternal mental health advocate. She co-founded Mindfulness-Based Achievement, the new MBA, which teaches high potential women leaders how to create sustainable success. The new MBA has been taught to thousands of women at Google, Cisco, Salesforce, Mattel, LinkedIn, Microsoft, the Stanford Graduate School of Business, and many other organizations. Lisa has given a TED Talk about her experience with postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis called Let's Talk About Postpartum Depression and has been featured in Fast Company, sharing five ways to lean in without burning out. Lisa was recently honored as one of the 100 Most Influential Leaders Empowering Women Worldwide by EBW. Over 12,000 people have taken part in Mindfulness-Based Achievement's free 10-Day Meditation Challenge. Lisa graduated from Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee, and lives in Menlo Park, California with her husband and daughter. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and share a little bit about my story.
0: Yeah, it's so important, as I was kind of mentioning in the introduction to today's episode, how important I think this is for people to really, really understand. And you've done a lot of work to get the word out there with your TEDx talk and advocating for moms. So to start, I would love for you to tell us about your experience, wherever you want to start, wherever you think is appropriate.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, I think my story starts with just saying that I was completely blindsided by what happened to me. You know, as explained in the intro, I mean, I have a company that teaches tools for well-being and mindfulness, and I always prided myself on my mental fortitude. I hadn't previously been in therapy. And I'd say, you know, in general, people describe me as a really, like, happy-go-lucky, you know, just happy, functioning person. And really quickly, you know, within... Basically, about two weeks after I had my daughter, Lucy, who's now two and a half years old, about two weeks after I had her, I really started to not be able to recognize myself in the mirror. Mm-hmm. I was, I mean, the sleep deprivation of those first few weeks just really, really took a toll on me more intensely than I realized. I kind of had a few combining events of the labor and delivery were pretty you know, normal and not super eventful there. So I felt okay after the labor and delivery. But then, you know, like many babies that are here when you're trying to breastfeed, they lose some weight. And Lucy ended up losing, you know, more than 10% of her weight, which usually raises some red flags for doctors. But for me, that was kind of one of the first triggers of, oh my gosh, I'm not, you know, I'm not feeding my daughter. I'm a bad mom. The bad mom train came very quickly that, you know, I wasn't doing this well. And I was, I couldn't even feed my daughter and now she was losing weight. And then I got stressed about that. And I ended up, you know, having to feed her every two hours because she was only, taking the letdown milk, and then not drinking any milk after that when I was nursing her, then I had to pump the rest of my milk and then give it to her in a bottle. And as all the moms know, uh, that ends up that cycle every two hours means you have about 15 to 20 minutes of a break in between after you clean the parts and do that. So I was doing that around the clock. And really, I felt like I don't know if I needed someone else's permission or if I was already in a fog state, but I felt like no one was in there saying, but if mom is running out of steam, it's okay. You can supplement with formula or we can talk about different solutions. I felt like it was like, this was what I had to do. And it really didn't matter that I was kind of wasting away and depleting every last bit of my energy. So that was really taxing from there. And then It just kind of, I think the sleep deprivation really started to warp my reality. And I ended up getting really confused. First, it was about little things, but then I was really just kind of terrified and ripe with anxiety in the Uh middle of also crying a ton during the day and feeling like, you know, I didn't want to be left alone with Lucy because I worried I didn't have what it takes to take care of her. I was just like, I'm so tired. And I I don't know if I can do this on my own. The feelings of being overwhelmed, like it doesn't even Mm -hmm. doesn't even describe how kind of incapacitated I felt like I can't possibly do this. I'm not doing it well. And each little thing it was like, you know, could you put her in the car seat to like go for a walk in the stroller? It was like, no, that's way too overwhelming. Like, I'm just Mm -hmm. so tired. I can't even get myself some food, let alone try to do an outing or go everywhere. So I kind of just felt pretty much just overwhelmed and then increasingly more confused. Yeah.
0: Oh, sorry. If I can just ask you about how far in was this where you started to feel this confusion?
1: It was about like two or three weeks in. So it kind of was pretty quick that I started to feel like, you know, my husband went back to work after Two weeks. And when he left I was, it very quickly went downhill of like, okay, okay, now it's all up to me. And it felt really hard. And I'll tell you this, even though I had a really, you know, supportive family, I have my mom, my stepmom, and my mother in law all in the area. So I had a lot Mm -hmm. of backup help and actually a lot of people helping me, but it didn't really matter because of how I was feeling. (laughs) So I can say that even though, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, you had all the support in the world. I Mm -hmm. did, but I still felt this way.
0: Did anybody know or did anybody notice? Who knew what was going on?
1: So, if anybody. yeah, my husband noticed pretty quickly, like, you know, it seems like I'm not doing well. My friends, of course, noticed, you know, they were like, can I come over? I felt like I didn't want anyone to see me in my state of disarray. Looking back now, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm a recovering perfectionist. So being barely mm. dressed in milk stained t-shirts and no makeup, that was mm. difficult for me, kind of feeling like I was falling from the standards that I had previously held for myself. But it was pretty, you know, quick, my husband and my best friend came over and said, I think you should talk to someone, I think you're having a harder time. Like, it's really hard being a new mom, but I think you're having, you know, a harder time than normal, and maybe you can get some support. So I did make an appointment with a psychiatrist, and it was the first time I met with her. And by that time, I think the bits of psychosis were rearing their head, because I had a very odd experience there. And I I felt like she was out to get me this certain Mm. therapist and she didn't understand what I was going through. And she just sent me home with a prescription for Zoloft. And I just felt like, you know, I feel like I'm losing my mind and I'm just being given these happy pills. Like I was like, I Mm -hmm. feel like I'm going crazy, like, and no one understands this. So it was really terrifying to feel like, and I didn't have a word for it. I didn't know honestly, that it was even on the spectrum. I was like, I pretty sure that, you know, as far as I was concerned, new moms ever went crazy after having a baby. Like I knew mm-hmm. about postpartum depression, but I was like, I feel like I'm losing my mind. I said that like so many times to my husband, because yes. with postpartum psychosis, there's bits of being lucid. And then there's mm-hmm. times when you're off and that was what was so confusing that this psychosis waxed and waned. There was moments where I was like, I'm capable, I'm grounded. And then there's moments where I'm like, I just really, you know, didn't know what's going on. I, you know, one night in the middle of the night, I thought that there was like snipers up on my rooftop and mm-hmm. the police were coming to get me because I just had this crazy delusion and I was terrified, oh, but it felt know. so real. And then it would subside and I was like, okay, I could take a breath but then it would come back out of nowhere. And it got more intense as my sleep deprivation worsened. And I really, even though by that point, we had hired a a night nurse to help us in the evening so I could get some sleep, I couldn't sleep. So there Mm -hmm. was like, you know, protections in place so that I could rest, but I couldn't rest in that state. And at that point, that was when, you know, my mom, like kind of was there 24 seven, and my husband was trying to there as much as he could, but he still had to be at his job. And then I finally it was happened to be the weekend. And it was the day after my husband's birthday, I just was like, you know, at my wits end and said, you know, like, should I kill myself? Will it make it better? And Mm. because I thought I've lost my mind. And who am I without my mind?
0: This podcast is supported by understood explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go. And that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube. And she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP? was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood
2: Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's devastating to feel that and to feel like that's the option. Yeah. I mean, how scary for you. It's hard enough when you're having difficulties and when you're stressed out, and when you're sleep deprived to express how you feel Mm -hmm. and to notice how you feel. How were you able to tell people what was going on for you? In that state, how did it come out? What are things that other people around you heard from you?
1: You know, honestly, I wasn't talking much, but they just knew something was wrong. Like, thankfully, because mm-hmm. it was so night and day different, the way that I was behaving. Mm-hmm. I thought I was doing my family and a favor by, like, having, you know, I very straight face was like, should I go jump off the bridge? Will that make it better? And they were terrified that I was Mm. saying this. And I thought I'm being rational in this moment. (laughs) Like, you know, my life is over as I know it. And this will be a relief to everyone, which is Mm. just so, you know, now I can look back and say, it's so sad. It's just my, my thinking was all jarbled up. And I, um, you know, had such a negative loop going on of thinking that everything was, I couldn't get perspective, you know, and I teach mindfulness. And I feel like a lot of times. And now in my recovery, I can kind of be the observer, observer of my thoughts and really notice them from a distance and say, like, huh, that thought that says you're not good enough, or says you're failing as a mom, I can just look and say, that's a passing thought. Mm -hmm. That's not me. And I can kind of dispute that thought. But in that state of depression and psychosis, those thoughts were real, and they were terrifying, and they were debilitating. And I could not get a grip out of that. And so Mm -hmm. it was, you know, very humbling to have that experience. Whereas I would say before this postpartum episode, I didn't really know that when a mental illness strikes, you really are on your knees to that illness. This is not about mental strength. This is something else. And so that was, you know, I needed, I guess, to learn that lesson. Mm -hmm. And it was, and I feel stronger and, and more compassionate because of it.
0: Yeah. Or you talked about a couple of things that I want listeners to really understand. One is very important that sleep was a huge, huge part of this. And sleep deprivation kind of made your mind switch over to this other place where reality was not what you were used to. It was a different reality, but it all felt real. And the other part is that you were not able to talk to people. A lot of this was happening internally. Mm -hmm. And unless people knew you weren't paying attention, I mean, it sounds like in your experience, there was enough that was different that people could notice. But otherwise, this is a very internal experience and that you were not really able to say, I specifically need help. It came out in the form of maybe I should just die.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: And before you got to that such a place of desperation that that felt reasonable. Yeah. And I think that so many People, family members, moms, whoever who's involved in the postpartum period of time really need to understand these factors that sleep is important and that a mom might not necessarily be able to describe how she's feeling.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think adding to that, like, I wish I had known it was a red flag. Like, if mom is given a time to rest but can't rest because her mind's racing Or she's Mm -hmm. scared or she feels guilty or, you know, wherever you're giving space for mom to rest, you know, a babysitter's there and a family member's there. That's a really red flag for, I believe, you know, anxiety and other, and maybe even for depression too, but I didn't really know that. And Mm -hmm. that could have been helpful to be like, okay, we've, you know, tried to allow this restful state, but she can't get there on her own. Right.
0: So in terms of your experience, how were people treating you? How did you feel treated by your providers, by people around you, once you kind of figured out what was going on? And I guess, how did you even figure out what was going on?
1: Yeah, so, you know, the beginning of the story is is not great, because I had that one initial meeting with a new psychiatrist that I had never met, which is why now I tell all my friends, when you're pregnant, meet a therapist or meet with a psychiatrist while you're pregnant, so that if you do need to meet someone in the postpartum period, you have a bit of established relationship and a baseline. Because I felt like I was going to meet this new person who didn't know me. And frankly, like didn't really believe that like, you know, before I I had my stuff together, and I was like accomplished and an entrepreneur and successful and all of these things. So it was troubling there. I only had one appointment with her before I ended up having that morning where I was telling my husband and my mom that, you know, I should kill myself. And then from there my husband did what the provider told him to do, which was take me to the emergency room. But in my altered state, I thought my husband was taking me to jail. I didn't know that I was going to the emergency room. And I was frankly really confused at that point why I was at a hospital. I didn't know that you would go into a psychiatric hospital, like via the emergency room, like all of this was mm-hmm. very foreign to me, Right. ended up in the psychiatric ward and spent 10 days there because in my state, I was terrified. I really had no idea why I was there. And I wasn't- Nobody
0: was talking to you about it? No one was ta- explaining?
1: I wasn't talking to anyone. I think that was my kind of self-preservation was feeling like, you know, no one's going to understand me they've already taken my baby away. Like I'm not giving them anything else. Like, you know, life is over as I know it and I'm not participating anymore. So I think I just shut down. And in the end, that's sort of why I ended up staying quite a while longer maybe than other people would because I didn't feel understood there because there weren't Mm -hmm. mothers treating me and it was mostly men. And the psychiatric ward is a terrifying place. I was alongside, you know, one day a couple days in, I remember there was a man, he like came in to the psychiatric ward in a dog cage because he thought he was a dog. And there was, I'd walk down the hall and see, you know, someone like strewed out on the floor, like convulsing from drugs or other withdrawal symptoms. Like I was the, you know, the skinny, petite blonde woman in her Lululemon outfit in this psychiatric ward. Like I couldn't have stuck out like more of a sore thumb and it was terrifying for me. So it I kind of did think I was put in jail. I didn't really know it was a hospital and anyone was trying to help me, which I can kind of laugh at now because I'm like, I think that this was all protecting me because I was sort of in a a fudge state or like a cloud of fog. So Mm -hmm. I wasn't too lucid in most of the hospitalization. And unfortunately, the head resident said to my mom, you know, oh, postpartum depression. Like, I haven't heard of that. I'm going to need to look it up in the books. Which was terrifying, and oh I live in San gosh. Francisco No. Yeah, but wow. Thankfully, I got out after 10 days, and Lucy was able to visit after the first two days, she was there every day for a few hours, and I got to just hold her. I had stopped, of course, breastfeeding by there, but I you know, could give her her bottle um, of formula, and we got to spend a little bit of time together, which was really nice. So how old was she at this point? like three weeks old or a month old, not even.
0: So all of your experience came on really, really hard and fast. This wasn't like strung out over months, this intense part that you're describing. Yeah.
1: She was born on January 5th and I was hospitalized February 10th, Mm -hmm. which is now I learned typical of postpartum psychosis. It can be a sudden onset like pretty quickly. So I ended up getting out of the hospital and Thankfully, my husband found a therapist that specialized in maternal mental health. And she recommended this program called the Moms Program out of El Camino Hospital down in the peninsula, kind of about an hour south of my home. And we decided because that was the best outpatient program and it was specialized, you know, for moms that I should, you know, we should move in with my family. And we ended up living with my family for a couple of months while I attended that program, four days a week for, you know, maybe a half a day each day. And that was really great. I mean, I was so lucky to have a program that specialized in yeah. moms. And we ended up having maybe five or six moms in the program. And one of the moms also had postpartum psychosis. And that was really the first time where I said, okay, like this is a real thing. Mm
2: hmm.
1: Because that was a lot of my struggle was like, what? Like, this can't be real. You know, Mm -hmm. I thought my husband in the hospital, actually, against the advice of the doctors, brought me a handout that he had printed from Postpartum Support International that described postpartum psychosis and said hey Mm -hmm. I just want you know like this is what you have and that was a huge turning point for me because I didn't believe it was real at that point but I thought Mm -hmm. my husband loves me so much he created a fake website for me and a fake (laughs) illness (laughs) so that I would feel okay and that was honestly when I turned a corner and because, of course, when your mom and your husband leave you locked in a psychiatric ward, you do lose some trust in them. You're not sure if they are oh, sure. thinking about your best interest. So it was a complicated uh, thing there. And then I felt like, oh, my husband's on my side again. Like, mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm. here for me, where I wasn't quite sure, because um, it was very confusing, all of this.
3: through our challenges, whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search "Make Some Noise" with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.
4: Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence You are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.
0: So it sounds like there was a couple of things along the way that you really needed but didn't know about. Certainly, there was the one psychiatrist and then this other provider within the hospital Mm -hmm. who totally missed what was really going on. What do you think you really needed? What would you have wanted, looking back on this now, that would have helped you more?
1: Yeah, I think awareness is really important, just like, what's the whole spectrum of what you can experience. So I think that would have helped to just know it was a possibility. Mm -hmm. And that you know, I wasn't alone. Like the community, realizing like there's other moms out there that had similar experiences was so healing and so helpful, yeah. which is a big part of why I share my story. You know, as you can tell, it still is, is very emotional, but it's, I feel called to tell the story because I know it can help so many new moms. And then I think, you know, the pressure to kind of do it all and make it look easy. <laughs> which had kind of a belief that it served me well up into this point. And then just mm-hmm. having a baby when you're like, yeah, there's just so you can't really can't do that anymore. It's messy. Mm-hmm. It's complicated. It's difficult. And I wish I had someone beside me, like you know, my therapist now is just like, you know, those aren't realistic expectations. And mm-hmm. of course, you're going to feel bad about yourself when you're setting these insanely high standards of, we're thinking, you know, oh, I'm going to get in my skinny jeans like 2 weeks after birth. It's like try, you know, 9 months or 10 months. <laughs> you know, right. just, like all of the expectation about your body, about, you know, the breastfeeding, oh, it'll be easy and I'll do it out at the park and I'll just I'll take my daughter everywhere and it'll just be really, you know, rainbows and sunshine and and it wasn't. And I it was hard to kind of come down from that. It was a vision of one thing and it was something else.
0: So after you were able to get the help in the program, it sounds like you went on to have additional therapy and support. You just talked about the things that you've been learning about lowering your expectations in terms of your own productivity as a mom and letting go of this idea of perfection. So it sounds like you learned a lot of new ways to think and cope and manage. Are there other things that you're using now to help you maintain your feeling better? Yeah.
1: Recovery. yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll say, too, you know, for about six months, I was using medications, uh, antipsychotics, antidepressants, and an anti-anxiety medication. And those were absolutely essential in my recovery and were needed to, I think, pull me out enough so that I could end up getting a lot out of my therapy and, like, growing. But I definitely needed the medications. We ended up hiring a night nurse every night three months which was a you know huge expense but was I think part of why I recovered so quickly because Mm -hmm. I slept you know 10 hours every night for three months because that was like my brain needed to heal and it needed sleep to heal I exercised every day because that helped me release stress and made me feel good I restarted my meditation practice, which has always been important to me but is hard to do when you have a little one. But yeah. It is fun. I'll tell a little story that this morning my daughter came and sat with me on my meditation cushion for ten minutes and was quiet just sitting there. You know, sometimes she's like, Where'd you get this table? Like she comes up with it. <laughs> with uh or like put this blanket here but it was a really funny experience kind of like you know my mind's wandering too and hers is but she's <laughs> sitting here and it was very very precious so
0: yeah that's beautiful
1: yeah and I think that's t- you know too you just realize the first years it's really hard but then now I feel like uh Lucy and I have a you know wonderful relationship and she is able to you know, do things with me that I love to do, and I'm able to you know play puzzles with her and do the things she loves, and we can kind of meet there. The first year, you know, there's, there's a lot of giving outwards from the mom, and there's not much that's returned. You get a smile or a giggle once in a while, but it is really <laughs> it's a lot of giving and yeah. being yeah. compassionate with yourself that it doesn't make you a bad mom to acknowledge that it can be draining to give yes. constantly. So the yeah. things I do now to really you know, watch after my well-being. I'm still in therapy because I think that that's essential. There's always something you can learn and grow from in that process. And I'm much more mindful of my sleep and my stress than I ever have before. I, you know, sometimes it do acupuncture. I started that up again. I practice yoga, I meditate, eat a healthy diet, but I really, I take my sleep seriously. So if I have a bad night of sleep, I'll I'll take a nap during the day because I am an entrepreneur and I have flexibility in my schedule, but I will try to make that happen so that I don't, yeah, I just don't mess around with it anymore.
0: Great. These are. This is so valuable for the people listening. You know, everyone's experience in the postpartum period is different. But based on what you're describing, this level of sleep deprivation, plus the level of pressure that you had on yourself and, you know, whatever else went into that period of time, that can happen to anybody. Yeah. And the lessons that you've learned from it were very hard learned in terms of, you know, protecting your sleep and being easier on yourself, to put it lightly. Mm-hmm. But I think that's why a story like yours and your experience are so important for people to hear about because you're not you know, like these things we hear on the news and how these stories are just we're given these snippets of this intense thing that happened to this mom. And oh, my gosh, you are a real person. You had a very real experience and very difficult experience. And I think it's really important for people out there to understand and be compassionate about this, be understanding and be supportive and learn so that we are treating mothers with more respect instead of, you know, adding to this feeling that you already had of you need to be perfect. Yeah. That's such a disservice to mothers. And by you sharing your story and your experience, you are putting it out there that, hey, you know, we don't need to do this to moms. Yeah. We need to take better care of moms. And you're taking such good care of yourself and your family.
1: Yeah. And I think to not feel guilty for taking care of yourself. Like right. when you fill your cup, you have more to share mm-hmm. with your family and with your children. Mm-hmm. But it, you know, I feel like that is. Going against the grain of some of what we hear, or we think about of like this ideal of a self-sacrificing mom that mm-hmm. is just looking out for her um, children. And I have a friend who experienced a more milder version, but still experienced postpartum depression. And she said, you know, in some ways, I feel like you know you had it easier because it was so clear that everything you were so unwell that then. No one questioned in your family and in your support system how much support you needed. And Uh it was like the fire alarms went off. And then it was like, okay, we're going to just all hunker down and support Lisa. And she was like, in my case, because it wasn't as severe, it was really hard for me to advocate for like, I do need, we need to invest in me right now to Mm -hmm. like have help with a nanny during the day, even though I'm not working because Mm -hmm. I need to sleep you know, and I need a break. And she said, it was much harder for me to make that argument for myself. And I think Mm -hmm. all new moms were so exhausted. And then we're like, the thought of even having to advocate for yourself is really can be overwhelming, because you've got so much else going on. So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, families can really be supportive by taking preventative steps and saying, let's not wait till mom is like at her brink to then support her. But Let's really support her throughout the postpartum period.
0: Absolutely. That's so, so important and so well stated. Thank you for, for making that point. It is. We can be preventative. We don't have to wait until, you know, like you said, the fire alarms are, are going off. That's such a an important part of something that, you know, even for moms who are listening now and preparing for their postpartum or even during their pregnancy if they feel these symptoms coming on during pregnancy that being as preventative as possible really really can help that's such a good point you know lisa i so appreciate you sharing your story today this is a really powerful story powerful experience that you had in terms of just how intense it was how terrifying it was for you and what you did to survive and get through you did everything you could and you got through. And it it takes a lot. It's it's hard to feel like you're doing, that you're surviving and that you're fighting when you're in the middle of it, but you totally did and you made it out and you're making the changes. You know, may not have known that you needed before, but now you know very clearly that these are the things that help keep you healthy by taking care of yourself. I thank you so much for sharing this with us.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much. And I really just, you know, anyone that's listening, like, you know, whether your symptoms are, you know, as extreme as mine or you feel like I'm not sure if this is, you know, baby blues or it's something more like seek help and get support. It's okay. Like if you go to meet with a therapist and they say this is just part of the normal postpartum experience, like that's great new knowledge that you have. So I think it's such a win-win to ask for help and not be afraid to ask for help. And I think, you know, I feel like I'm a stronger mom, a better mom, to Lucy because I got help, because I think I'm showing her what it means to be courageous. Is like, yeah. you know, to ask help when you feel like you need it is really what I want to model to her. And I just feel like, you know, it was an extreme experience. I don't wish it on anyone, but I also know that I grew and transformed through it. And I yeah. feel like I've ended up stronger and better equipped to, you know, be a mom, be with my family and, even to be you know be an entrepreneur absolutely
0: well thank you so much and best wishes to you on your continued healing and recovery and if you guys who are listening if you want to hear lisa's tedx talk you can look it up on youtube it's called let's talk about postpartum depression and you can also reach her on twitter at lisa A abramson and from what i think you said lisa is that you're very open to talking to other people who will reach out to you
1: absolutely Okay,
0: great. So you guys check out the TEDx talk, reach out to Lisa. Certainly if you are experiencing any of these feelings or symptoms for yourself or if you're listening and you have concerns about a family member, please reach out and postpartum support international as Lisa mentioned postpartum progress is another resource and look for information and get the help that you need. Thank you, Lisa, so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me. By joining us today and listening,
0: you're a part of the growing community of people who are aware and concerned for mothers and families during this beautiful and sometimes very difficult time of life. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this free podcast so that Mom & Mine can be found by moms, families, and providers who will benefit from hearing our talks. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, help is available. Please look for resources for help at momandmind.com, where you will also find links and information from today's episode. Thank you for listening and being a part of the Mom and Mind community.
2: Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist, and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.